Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, share your success story. And that's what this show is all about. I believe that successful women think differently. And by the end of this podcast, I hope you'll agree. The woman you are about to meet is my colleague and one of my closest friends. I know her story, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. In the spotlight, a woman who got her start as a music teacher, took a left-hand turn and ended in television news, and then at the top of her career, took a right-hand turn and started her own communications company. For this exceptional woman, the journey has been both terrifying and exciting, all at the same time. She's a risk taker, and being brave has helped her step outside her comfort zone to achieve, succeed, and inspire. Her name is Liz Bruner, and this is her story. Liz, welcome to the show. Wow, how do I say anything after that? Did you like it? (laughs) Thank you for writing that. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. It's all true. Hey, if I had known you when you were a little girl, and I had asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up, Liz? What would your answer have been? I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be a psychologist. I thought about even being a doctor. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And did you feel like you could do anything? Did you have an upbringing where you were nurtured and told, Liz, you, you can do anything? Tell us what your childhood was like. I don't know if I was told I could do anything, but both of my parents were involved in the theater world. My father was a minister, my mother a social worker, but in their free time, they both performed on stage in theater productions, concerts, singing, and our family growing up, we were the Von Trapps of Pekin, Illinois, <laughs> performing yeah. at nursing homes and things like that. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what what kinds, take me back, what, what kinds of songs would you sing? Probably things from The Sound of Music. I it's so interesting remember. because I think I've shared with you the story about how when I was a little girl, my dad would put me on the cocktail table before they'd have guests over, you know, and they'd say, <laughs> and now Candace will sing Edelweiss. And he would throw <laughs> olives to the dog and the dog would catch the olives in his mouth. And we, so we were kind of like the sideshow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's talk a little bit about your dad, a minister. Mm-hmm. So what was the message in your home? I have to think that when your dad is a minister, there's are there moral lessons every time you sit down at the dinner table? No, but we had to sit down at the dinner table. Absolutely, yes. We had dinner every night at 6 o'clock, and you were expected to be there. Nothing else took its place. And you were also expected to contribute to the conversation. That's how I grew up. Wow. Who were your role models when you were growing up, and, mm. and what were the lessons? My mom, for starters, and my grandmothers, both of them. My mother's mother, Dr. Dorothy Dunning Chaco, a medical doctor in India, started the first leprosy colony in India. My other grandmother, Beatrice Price Russell, started the first Girl Scouts troop in her area in New York. She was in Girl Scouting for over 75 years. Both women were involved in missionary work. So that's my upbringing. And my mom, who was from India, got her citizenship in Hawaii when we moved there. And she was a school social worker and then a medical social worker. And I'll never forget when I was competing in the Miss America pageant. 
And I was just a firm believer that I was going to have a career and I was going to be a mother and have a family all at the same time. A male judge asked me, how could I possibly think that I could do both? And I looked at him and I said, I didn't know any differently. That's how I was raised. My mother was a school social worker, my grandmother was a doctor, and the other one was involved in missionary work. So that was the message. And those were my role models. You were just talking about Miss America, and I. there's a very famous picture of you as Miss Illinois, which we're going to post so everyone Great. can see. <laughs> Love but, the hair when yes, you look at that. <laughs> here you are, a pageant queen. Tell us what that experience was like for you. Pageant queen, I've never heard it called quite like that. For me, it was a way to pay for my education. I paid for every penny of my college education between my scholarships from the pageant system, between those good old-fashioned student loans, between working in the dish room at Lawrence University's Conservatory of Music and any babysitting money that I had saved up along the way. That's how I paid for my education. And it was a great training ground for everything that ultimately happened, whether I was a high school teacher, whether it was my television career, 28 years in the industry, or now in the business that I'm working in the company that I started. Isn't it so true, Liz, that every single job we ever have, there's always mm. such a big lesson for you. I have to ask, what what is it like backstage at Miss America, please? I mean, <laughs> it, just close your eyes and just go back to that moment. What's it like? Well, I'll never forget the year that I competed. And I looked across the room at a woman who was sitting at her makeup table, and they're all lined up. You know, there are 50 women, of course. They're all lined up. And I looked across the room at Cheryl Pruitt, and I looked at her and I said, she's going to win. And she did. Did she have that something, that je ne sais quoi that you and I talk about all the time? I'm sure that was a piece of it, but it was just a something else that just came into my brain. Yeah. But what was even more fun for me, because I think that was still a stressful time, was when I was working at Channel 5, WCBB, in Chronicle. They'd never been to the Miss America pageant. We went, and I did shows on the Miss America pageant. And for me to go back that way yes, yes. was so much fun. In your comfort zone, In right? my comfort zone, exactly. You are a classically trained vocalist yes. with a music degree from the Lawrence <laughs> University Conservatory of Music. What is it that you love about music? Mm, feeds the soul. Yeah. Music is another form of communication, another form of storytelling, another way to express emotion. That's what I love about music. You started your career as a high school music teacher, but you discovered that it just kind of wasn't what you wanted to do with your life. I have to think that that must have been a hard decision. Very hard decision. Here you've, you've worked your way through college yes. to this incredible music conservatory, <laughs> and all of a sudden you say, no, this is not what I want to do. I just felt like instinctively in my soul from an organic feeling that there was something more I was supposed to do. I couldn't explain it any other way than that. So I left after two years, and I worked in retail to pay the bills. Tell me about how you got started in television. <laughs> because I was brave, Candy, to be quite honest with you. I was living in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois at the time, and there were two television stations there. I was reading a book called Who's Hiring Who by Richard Lathrop, and it still exists. I highly recommend it. It talked about informational interviews, which I had never even heard of. And I bravely called both television stations up and said, I'm interested in talking to someone about a possible career in television. No, I don't have any experience. No, I don't have a degree <laughs> in communications, journalism, or broadcasting. I just wanted to talk to somebody. Do I need to go back to school and get another degree? 
is what I think I wanted to even exist. And I thought I wanted to do something in public relations. Reader's Digest version, six months later after a conversation at the CBS station, a position was created for me to be the liaison between the community and the station. And I learned everything from the ground up. Somebody gave me a chance. Somebody took a chance on me. Tell me about the very first time you saw yourself on television. Well, keep in mind, I had already been Miss Illinois. So I'd seen myself on television that way. Okay. I had already done a television commercial when I was Miss Illinois. Pontiac Grand Prix. Oh, where is the tape on that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Somebody will find it, I'm afraid. Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay, I'm tasking everyone who's listening to this podcast, go and find Liz Bruner doing the Pontiac Grand Prix commercial. Okay, so go ahead. So you've already seen yourself in commercials and also on Miss right. America. Shame on me for not knowing that. But here you are now, you're doing television. And you got to start at the bottom, right? You've got to be out in the field. You've got to be learning how to produce but that's not how it started okay, for me. Okay, tell me the story. They, as the liaison, wanted me to write up these announcements, these public service announcements sure. for our little thing called Town Crier. It was 60 seconds long. First of all, I didn't even know how to write something like that. I had to figure it out on my own. I learned everything on my own. And I had to go into a booth, and I was supposed to voice them. And I remember the first time I went in, I was like, <clears throat> okay. Hi, this is this is Liz. Today's town cry. No, today's town cry. Today's town cry. I was so awful, and I was a nervous wreck going in there and doing that. And then they said, "Oh, we want you now to do these live, meaning live to tape." The first time you didn't see me, they were just voiceovers. Then they wanted to move to where you saw me on the screen. And then they said, "And we'd like to have you do your own little talk show called Community Touch. It's only four and a half minutes where you're going to interview some of the nonprofit organizations." And I'm thinking, okay. And then, oh, and now we want you to learn how to do the weather. You just kept on saying yes. I did. I never said no. And my philosophy then, and it still is today, just because you've never done something doesn't mean you can't. You just have to try. And you just have to be brave. Exactly. What makes a great reporter? Curiosity, intellect, instinct, good storytelling. What makes a great anchor? All of the above. And being able to be comfortable enough in that kind of a setting. You spent most of your long career on the air here in Boston at WCVB, considered one of the very best news stations in the United States. Very fortunate. Wins Edward R. Murrow Awards all the time, Peabody Awards. What was your first impression of Boston when you got here? Did you feel like home right away? What, what was it like? Well, for some reason, I had always thought Boston sounded interesting. And I'd always thought somewhere in the back of my mind, I think I would like living in Boston. And I really couldn't explain it, although I will in a moment. And then when I came for my interview, I remember going home on the plane, looking out the window and realizing my life was about to change. They hadn't offered me the job yet, but I knew my life was about to change. Now, genealogy-wise, my ancestors, William Brewster, that's how far back this one side of my family goes. So I guess it was, it was home. It was destiny. It came, you came home. <laughs> yes. One of the things that I've always admired about you is your ability to stay so composed on television, despite what you might be hearing in your ear mm -hmm. or what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You were on the air on 9-11. I was. Talk about it. I wasn't on the air that day. I was in the newsroom. I was supposed to go cover a story about it was election day. 
And they obviously said, not doing that. And I had to go to Needham and try to find the woman who was the wife of a man who was believed to have been on the plane from Boston. And I remember my videographer and I driving up to her home, and I looked out the window of the car, and I saw a woman sitting there who looked to be about seven months pregnant with tears in her eyes. And I told my videographer, I said, you stay here. Let me go up and first introduce myself and just talk to her. We never did the story with her that day, but it was, in fact, the wife of one of the the victims of 9-11. And see, Liz, that's the thing. The stories are there, Mm. but how you, as a reporter and an anchor, a journalist, knew enough to say, whoa, whoa, leave your camera here. I'll go talk to her. Don't even come with me. Don't come with me. There's such a connection that you need to make, and you were always able to do that. You know what I think makes a good reporter, to get back to your question about a good reporter and an anchor, is what I think actually makes me and you a good coach, which is being a good student of human nature. As a reporter, you need to very quickly connect with someone. You need to very quickly assess a situation, assess an individual. If I have three minutes with somebody, how am I going to get them to open up and talk to me? Right, and you have to do it pretty quickly, right? Very quickly. And that same skill set applies to much of the work we're doing now when you're trying to connect with someone because it is about trust. It is about communication. It's about being willing to open yourself up and be vulnerable, whether it's with a microphone as a reporter or whether it's now working with a client as their coach and helping them grow and learn. I have to ask what it was like to interview the president and to be in the Oval Office. You tried to get that interview for four years. Yes. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. Four years I was writing the White House. It initially started with just a blank letter to the communications press office. I didn't even have a name. Once I finally got a name, which was about two and a half years later, somebody actually responded, and they had a name and an email now. And I, was, I seized on that <laughs> and jumped at it. And then that started the ball rolling. Yeah. And I always say, no matter what your politics are, to interview a sitting president, Mm -hmm. a world leader, is an honor and a privilege. And I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. I'll never forget that day at the White House. We got there very early at about 7.30 in the morning. My interview wasn't until 2.30 in the afternoon. But by the time you go through security, then they had us meet other people, and we got a tour of the gardens. We met the dogs, everything. It was fun. Wow. Sitting presidents, Barbara Walters... Big Poppy, singing superstars, whoever. I mean, you've just had a chance to talk to so many people. A lot of people. (laughs) A lot of people. Just like you. At the top of your career, when they still wanted you, you said, you know what? I have something else I want to do with my life. Walk us through that whole sense of there's something more. I've done the TV thing. Now it's time for another chapter. I'm going to start my own company. 
it wasn't that simple. It was quite complex, actually. The business had been changing dramatically. As someone who's a firm believer in next chapters, no matter what company you're with, no matter what position you hold, no matter how much money you're making, always be thinking, hmm, what might I do next? I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And it was through a series of talking with people to try to understand what I thought I could bring to the table, what I could do. And it finally came down to one of my mentors saying to me, Liz, you're well-known, you're well-respected, you have credibility, that is value. You could teach so many people so much. Why would you give that value to someone else? Launch your business. And if you don't have clients in six or nine months or you don't like what you're doing, you can always go do something else. But up until that moment when that kaleidoscope went click, did I say, that's it. Now it was staring at me in the face, but I couldn't see it. (laughs) I couldn't see it. I needed someone to help me see it. The company is called Bruner Communications. You specialize in coaching executives, and there are lots of companies out there doing just that. What makes Bruner Communications so unique? Well, for one thing, between my experience, and I have to brag, Candy's experience, because she has joined my team, and I'm so thrilled that she's on the team with me. Excellent coach. Between the two of us, we have more than 60 years of experience interviewing top leaders, world leaders. We have more than 60 years of experience being in the public eye of a brand. We have more than 60 years of performance and presentation and all the things that that implies. And and we can use all of that knowledge. So that in and of itself is a unique background with two broadcasters, one in television, one in radio. We also use the video camera. It never lies. (laughs) And people freak out when they see it. But that's okay because it's a truth tool. It's a wonderful tool to be able to help people see how they are being seen and perceived by other people and why it matters. The website is lizbruner.com. That's Liz. Bruner.com. Liz, you do so much work for nonprofits. You're very passionate, especially for Make-A-Wish Foundation. I am. I have been involved with Make-A-Wish now for, oh my gosh, more than 15 years, I believe. It started with me doing a story with Make-A-Wish when I was first in Boston. And I'll never forget interviewing this young, beautiful child who was terminally ill. I held, You talk about me having composure. Okay, I held it together through the interview At the end of the interview, walked out of the apartment, walked into the elevator, and started sobbing. I don't think my videographer knew what to do. (laughs) But that's how it started. And then I was invited to do a number of different things. And when Make-A-Wish Massachusetts and Rhode Island started their galas 13 years ago now, I believe, they asked me to emcee. And I've been the emcee every single year since then. It's one of my favorite events. And now I'm on the board. When you can see the reaction that these wishes have, not only on the child whose wish has been granted, but the ripple effect to their families, their siblings, their friends. It's powerful. You have also been appointed to Boston Mayor Marty Walsh's Boston Women's Commission. You're tasked with attaining equal rights and opportunities for women citywide. What is your stand, your opinion on pay equity? And did you ever experience inequity in the newsroom or in any of your experience as a woman in industry? I was never privy to other people's salaries, but yes, I would be willing to bet 100% that my male co-anchors always made much more money than me. Just was, is. 
unfortunately, and for sure needs to be changed. <laughs> Absolutely. 100% needs to be changed. How important have relationships, friendships like ours, connections, mentors been for you in your life? They've meant everything. Without having those kinds of relationships and friendships, you learn from them. You gain strength from them. You can pay it forward from those relationships. I love connecting people. So when I make a new friend or make a new acquaintance and I can, you need to meet so-and-so, that for me is fun. We learn something from every chapter in our lives. What has been the biggest lesson, Liz, for you so far? To just always try to be your best authentic self. And that's not always easy. As women, I think it's hard sometimes to have our voices be heard. And it's very hard to maintain that authenticity. For me, what I have found incredibly interesting is that I have gained even more confidence and become even more of my authentic self, not only the older I get, but also having started this business. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I think I know the answer, but I'm holding back on this. (laughs) Any way I can. Go around it, go over it, go through it, knock it down. Whatever the situation is, you have to find a way. What do you wish you knew when you first got started? Well, for one thing, believe it or not, my mother's maiden name was Chaco. My mother's from India. If I had known back then what I know today... I would have changed my name, which was not unusual back then. Think of Joan London, who was Joan Blunden, and they changed her name to Joan London. I would have changed my name to Liz Chaco because people have questioned my ethnicity from day one, wondering, what is she? (laughs) I'm a melting pot. Yes, yes. A beautiful melting pot. (laughs) Hey, I chose my grandparents very carefully, Candy. (laughs) So maybe I would have changed my name. Who knows where that would have led. But I also think... I'll share it in a story. One of the very first television coaches that I had the opportunity to work with, his name was Jeff. And I remember him saying to me, Liz, just be yourself. And I said, but I am. And I have to laugh now because it's not that I wasn't myself, but I was trying to be an anchor. I was trying to do something as opposed to just being Liz. And now I laugh about it because it's so easy to be just Liz. But that's also, you know, Isn't 30 years wisdom, later. It's wisdom. wisdom. Isn't that 30 experience? 30 years later. <laughs> what is your advice to a young woman who's listening to our interview? Maybe she's got an idea that she wants to get into news and understanding, too, that traditional broadcast is really a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. People get their news from so many different sources. But what do you say to a young woman who might have this dream? First of all, male or female, getting into the industry, you have to be passionate about wanting to tell a story. You have to be passionate about getting to the truth. You have to be curious. If you're trying to get in it to be famous or to make a lot of money, don't bother. Don't even go there. It is a lot harder now, I think, on journalists. In some respects, I'm kind of glad I'm not in that world anymore, given everything that's going on and, and the reputation that journalists have and networks have today. You don't know what the truth is anymore. So I think you have to really be that passionate about it. You have to have a very strong work ethic because it's not easy. And a lot is expected of you, especially today. It was A lot was expected of me when I was in it. A lot was expected of you. You're not going to have a nine-to-five job. If that's what you're looking for, well, good luck to you. It's just not the way of the world. You know, I think back to the beginning of our interview where you talked about your your grandmother, the doctor from India, what would she say to you right now? Elizabeth, (laughs) 
She always liked to call me Elizabeth. I think she would say that she's proud of me. At least I hope that's what she would say. You're going to make me cry. She was an amazing woman. Very stern, very strict, very quiet. And when she spoke, you listened. And she was not shy about when she spoke. But she was an amazing woman. And her background in and of itself, extraordinary. She's actually from Massachusetts, but did her schooling in London and Tokyo, and then went to India and became a medical doctor, starting the first leprosy colony there. She was a very powerful woman, very insightful. As you sit right here, president, founder, CEO of Bruner Communications, what is your definition now of success? I hope it's that I am being my best authentic self, number one. Number two, that I'm actually helping people and making a difference in their lives. For me, when I'm working with a client, I see the progress pretty quickly. They don't always see it as quickly, but when they do, it's the best feeling in the world because they have gained, whether it's confidence or self-esteem or they've moved the dial on some challenge that they had, to be able to help people make those kinds of changes, to help make a difference in someone's life, is so incredibly powerful. And I, I just received a thank you note from a client whose engagement just concluded. And I had been with her for two years now. And when we said goodbye to each other last week, she started crying. She said, you have changed my life. That's success. I want to say thank you so much for being this week's guest on the story behind her success, Liz Bruner. Thanks, Candy. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?